before I read the scriptures today about a very, very important subject. I've entitled the message, The Great Spiritual Battle, War of the Ages. I'm convinced that sometimes we as God's people, we know about it, but we don't, in our daily life, we're not aware of it, if you know what I mean. And I think it's such an important subject matter that um, when I had the opportunity to come and, and share this morning, that's what the Lord put on my heart. Uh, I failed to introduce my wife, Beth. Um, I apologize for that. Uh, we're glad to be here this morning. A little bit about us before I get into the word is that we spent 25 years together on the mission field with our family. We raised seven children, and I actually grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but Beth grew up in South Dakota. And uh, after graduating from Weston Seminary, served for a while in the Hopkins Community Church as their solo pastor. So when we came back from the mission field four years ago, it was a great privilege for me to go back in a halftime role as pastor of prayer and discipleship there. And uh, we live in Hudsonville, and we really enjoy being back. This morning, I want us to open up God's Word, and I, a tradition I always have is I invite people to stand if you are able to. Let us stand in honor of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18. And then I'm going to read uh, from Revelation chapter 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then, from the last book of the Bible, the Apocalypse, or the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, we read in chapter 12, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, 
with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he wasn't strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she'd be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Friends, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God truly stands forever. Please be seated. We look at these two amazing passages of Scripture. In the first You have the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's given the church great instructions and ends by saying, finally, with all all of the instructions I've given you on on how to uh, win, how to live victorious in your Christian life, don't forget that the enemy behind our enemies is at work and we're involved in a great spiritual war. What we 
come to know as the, the spiritual warfare passage, where we see that we, the Lord has given us great weapons. We aren't fighting against flesh and blood, human beings, but against the powers and the principalities and the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms behind the scene that's influencing everything that's going on in our world. And then we look at the last book, Revelation. And we don't preach out of this enough. One of the reasons we don't is we, many of us don't understand apocalyptic literature because we don't have apocalyptic literature today. But it was a very, very common form of a genre of literature from about 200 years before Jesus to about 150 years since his birth. And in that period, there was a time when God's people were often in persecution and suffering. And the idea was to present large picture realities in such a way that those on the outside, the persecutors, wouldn't really understand what was going on. You had to be an insider to understand the symbols, the signs, the pictures that are there. And that's what we have in the book of Revelation. The writer John, the apostle, is suffering for his faith. He's on the island of Patmos. It's a prison island. He's very elderly at this stage of his life. It's probably in the mid to late 90s AD, the last book to be written. And he talks about signs and wonders, and you almost have to picture like a, a cartoon being played out before you to see the big picture stuff. And in chapter 12, we read that a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon and the stars under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now, who is the woman? And what is she up to? You know, why is this significant? Sometimes when I'm doing Bible studies, people say, is the woman Mary, the mother of Jesus? What do you think? No, definitely not. It's rather an allusion to Genesis 37. It's, remember that there's a figure named Joseph. He's one of 12 children of Jacob, the patriarch. And Jacob, with Rachel, one day the Lord gives some important dreams to Joseph. And Joseph, not really knowing what to do with these dreams, shares them with his brothers. And of course, it's going to lead to trouble with his brothers. The second dream he has involves the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to him. And of course, it's a prophetic picture of what the Lord is going to do in Joseph's life. Because one day, 
after being sold as a slave, he's going to be raised up by the Pharaoh. And one day, those 11 brothers are going to be bowing down to him when he's put in charge of all of Egypt, second to the Pharaoh himself. So it's an allusion to that because we know that because when Joseph shares this dream, the sun and the moon, Jacob clearly identifies with the sun and Rachel is identified with the moon and they're all bowing down to him. Of course, the 12 stars on the head, on the woman's head would be the 12 sons of Jacob, or the 12, which make up the 12 tribes of Israel. The woman, undoubtedly, is the Old Testament nation of Israel. So who is the dragon? The second big sign that we see. Who's the dragon and what, he's up, what is he up to? Well, John doesn't want us to miss it. So he gets very explicit in verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Remember the ancient serpent? Go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, that ancient serpent comes to Adam and Eve, the first human beings on earth, and there's a choice to be made. Will Adam and Eve believe the word of the Lord? Or will he believe, will they believe the words of the serpent? And Satan speaking through that serpent. Well, we know the choice. And that choice was a bad choice. And it had consequences for all of humanity. And we're living with those choices today. It's interesting the, the term devil, diabolus in the Greek means slanderer because he's a slanderer. He slanders, he tells lies, and he accuses us all the time. Jesus, in John, recorded in John chapter 8, verse 44, calls the devil a murderer from the beginning. He's a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for is, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What a perfect depiction of our enemy, Satan. Satan is a term that actually means adversary or enemy, and that's because he hates and opposes God. He hates God's plans. He hates people because they're made in his image. And he especially hates those that are walking with the Lord, those that are redeemed, those that are his chosen people. Hates them with a passion. He hates all people, but especially those that are chosen. Jesus goes on to call Satan the prince of of this world. The Apostle Paul refers to him as the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the God of this age. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul writes, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, 
The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. That's what Satan loves to do. He blinds people with mindsets and ways of thinking and lies that, that actually blind them from the truth so that they can't respond to the gospel. Well, in our passage, what is Satan up to here? What is this a picture of? Let's try to follow the storyline behind John's vision. We read in verse 2, she, the woman, or Israel, was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. The dragon's tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Now, what does that mean? Well, in ancient times, all of the ancients, as they looked up into the sky and saw the, the stars, felt that that was the activity of the gods, the activity of the supernatural beings, the activity of the angels. And so that would make sense that a third of the stars were thrown, hurled down to the earth. It's a reference, no doubt, to the fact that there are supernatural beings, the gods of the ancient peoples. And they had supernatural powers. They weren't God himself. God was far above them. But God created these powers and principalities and when I think of the hierarchy of angels, think of a hierarchy like a military. You've got many, in, in the military, you have many different rankings. If you're in the army, who's in charge? The five-star general is. And then you have the other generals. And then you go down, majors, lieutenants, all the way down to a private. When the angelic realm, it's similar and we know from Scripture that there's archangels who are in, who are in charge of a vast, you could say an army of angels with different rankings. There's three mentioned in, in Scriptures. There's Michael, mentioned in the, in the uh, book of Daniel. He's the archangel that's actually been assigned to be the spiritual prince to watch over Israel. There's Gabriel, who, remember, announced big news to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and before that, to Zechariah, the priest, that he'd bear a son, John the Baptist. Gabriel. So you have Michael, Gabriel, and then there's a, that third archangel known as Lucifer. And Lucifer is the one who falls and is expelled from heaven. Better known as Satan, he leads a rebellion against God right from the beginning. So I personally believe that a third of those stars is a clear reference to those under his authority who are also expelled here. Satan will not only lead a rebellion, but he'll lead a whole division in a sense. 
If you think about that, that's good news because two-thirds of the angelic realm are still loyal to the Lord. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming, but one-third may be in rebellion, but two-thirds are still loyal to the Lord. We read that, what did the dragon do? The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he, the dragon, might devour her, the woman's child, Israel, Israel's child, the moment he was born. And who was this child, friends? That's the clear one. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up by God and to his throne. So we have this big picture where Israel gives birth to the Lord Jesus. And he is the Messiah. And what he accomplishes in his 33 years on earth changes everything. And then he is snatched up to heaven. And the good news is he's safe in heaven. He, he will not be harmed. But the bad news is, friends, where is the devil? Where is Satan? So we can see that what we got going on on the earth, the bad news is we have to deal with it. We're still on the earth. The Lord's been snatched up to heaven where he's ruling at the right hand of God the Father, but we're the ones left on earth, and we have to contend with this evil one, this terrible, wicked serpent. In John's day, they were already undergoing terrible persecution. But John is reminding the people that Israel gave birth to the Messiah. Jesus came into the world. He, he led an amazing three-year ministry. And what did he do in those three years? He cast demons out of people. He healed the sick. These were all signs of destroying the enemy's work. But then he did the ultimate thing. And he offered himself and laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin. And that's, that's where Satan was ultimately conquered, was at the cross. But God raised him up on the third day, and the enemy is defeated. Notice that John is clear that he's snatched up to heaven and that's to remind the people that Jesus sits at God's right hand in glory now, even in our times of suffering, even in our times of persecution. He's ruling, but he's ruling from above. And he gives us his Holy Spirit who lives in us as his people. And we are involved in the ongoing battle between God and the forces of rebellion led by Satan. Again, the good news is Jesus is safe. The bad news is we're still dealing with the enemy, and, and it's a war. We're told 
in verse 12 and 13. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. See, he knows he's defeated, because Jesus defeated him on the cross. And it's just a matter of time before he's completely finished off. He's filled with fury. And because of that, what does he do? He pursues the woman. He pursues Israel. Have we seen that in history? Have you ever wondered why a people as small, a nation as small as Israel could be so hated by the entire world? Or why the Jewish people have always had a struggle with the rest of the world? Satan used the pharaohs in Egypt to enslave his people. But God raised up Moses and delivered his people. Later, Satan used the Canaanite nations with their demonically inspired religion and their pagan deities. Those pagan deities like Baal, Ashtoreth, Molech, they demand child sacrifices. And the pagan peoples would literally give their children onto a statue and let them burn in the fire. God warned the Israelites that they needed to wipe out, to annihilate these peoples because their gods would be a snare to them. And that's exactly what happened. It became a snare to God's people. And pretty soon, you had Israel and Judah, the people of Israel and Judah, actually doing the same thing. So Satan corrupts them through this religion. And you can see his activity. As a result, the Lord sends Nebuchadnezzar in in, in Babylon to come and destroy the temple, carry the people off to exile. And even in exile, Satan's still trying to annihilate his people. Remember what happens after the Persians overthrow the Babylonians? And under the Persians, a queen, God has to raise up a queen, Queen Esther, What was Satan trying to do during that reign of Queen Esther? Trying to annihilate God's people. He's always been out for God's people, but God raised up Queen Esther. In more recent times, Adolf Hitler and the Holocaust. We always see this being played out in history. And of course, there's the constant threat against Israel to this day. It wasn't just Israel, but it was all of God's people, those who hold their testimony to Jesus. Last verse, 17, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Yes, the history of the church is replete 
with great suffering and persecution. It's really been the norm through history. The United States of America has been an exception to the rule. And I believe it's about to change. Times are changing in a hurry. And I think we need to embrace the fact that we too are going to go through some suffering. We can see it because of this spiritual rebellion that's going on. We're involved in an epic spiritual war between God and forces loyal to him and Satan, who's leading a rebellion. And it's a fascinating thing to see that he's even, even called upon those powers and principalities that were in rebellion to him. The gods of, like, the Baals and Ashtoreth and Malak that we read about in the Old Testament they're, they're, coming in, they're coming back into the Western world. And there's a phenomenal book I want to encourage you to read. A, a book by Jonathan Kahn called Return of the Gods. I strongly recommend reading this. If you want to know what's going on right here in the USA and in so much of the Western world, you want to understand why suddenly there's such a fixation on paganism. Why there's a growing transgender movement. This book exposes it better than any I've read. It's a, outside of the scriptures, it's the best book I've read this year. I strongly encourage you to read it because we need to be aware of what's going on. These things are not happening by accident. They're a plan of the enemy. And we've got to be alert to his devices, to his strategies, to what's going on. See, Satan has always used different strategies, even in different parts of the world. When we served on the mission field, we were in the, the, the former Soviet Union in, in a nation called Estonia. And then later, we spent almost nine years in the Middle East. Very different strategies in different parts of, of, of the world, but always opposing God's truth, always there to block people from seeing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he's the key to living victoriously. He's the key to eternal life. That he doesn't care how he deceives people. In Islam, he uses a false religion that's demonically inspired. It's a fear-based religion. So Muslims live in constant fear, wondering if they've obeyed enough of the law that they know from the Quran, and they're following all of the rules, and they're hoping that God will accept them. There's no grace in Islam. You're, you're constantly striving. And then at the same time, at the same time, you can't leave Islam. If, 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 if you happen to know a Christian and, 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 
and you come to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he's the son of the living God, that he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin, the Quran will actually encourage the family to take matters into their hands and, 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 and kill them rather than allow them to leave Islam. That's a false religion. That's a bondage. That's a different strategy. But I believe and I know that there's a great harvest taking place in certain places in the Middle East. Jesus is showing up in the dreams of many Muslims. And, they, and they realize that the prophet Isa, Jesus, is more than a prophet. He's the son of the living God, and he's their savior. And there's great numbers turning. You're not going to hear that with the mainstream media, but places like Iran, a great harvest is taking place as people are coming into a relationship with Jesus. And it started with dreams and visions where the Lord is actually showing himself. It's wonderful. But in the Western world, it's, a bit, it's been a different strategy, has it not? Here it's that he's, that he's devised a plan to get people to believe in a scientific worldview, that the only thing that's really true is what we can sense with our five senses, the physical material realm. That spirituality is a figment of our imagination and a subjective thing. But friends, the spirit realm is as real as the physical realm. Both are real. And because the Western world, we've tended to be blinded to this, we've got lots of people dabbling in spiritual things. And when that happens... The demons, they don't care. They, they take advantage, attach themselves to people, develop strongholds in their minds, and wreak havoc in their spiritual lives. The good news, friends, is Jesus came to set the captives free. He's the way, the truth, and the life. and He's the way to be delivered out of it. There are keys to our victory over Satan. And one of those keys is we must return to a biblical worldview. We've got to see the world for what it is. These supernatural or spiritual forces are influencing our politicians. They're influencing the culture, the, the mountains of culture. They're influencing our educational institute, institutions. They're influencing entertainment and media. And once people believe the lies, that's what gives them power over them. Those lies have bad implications. Even the seminary that I attended, we had professors that really didn't believe in the reality of the spirit realm. I had one say, I don't believe in a personification of evil. Well, Jesus, what was his attitude? He knew the reality of Satan. He called him out for who he was. 
And friends, for us to be preparing the men and women of God who will be preaching from our pulpits without this understanding, it's, 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 almost, it's almost a travesty because we are going to get beat up if we don't understand who the enemy is and how he fights and his strategies and perhaps most importantly, the weapons that the Lord gives us because he's given us weapons to fight this warfare. But we won't if we, don't, if we question his existence and wonder if he's real. He's real. So we must return to a biblical worldview and take the Bible at face value. Amen? It's one. Secondly, we need to recognize that Jesus has already secured for us the spiritual victory over Satan by his own sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection. And he's been snatched up to heaven. He's safely up there where he's ruling with God the Father. But it is up to us to enforce his victory. And we've got to do it with the spiritual weapons he's given us. Verses 10 and 11, we read, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Have you ever witnessed that in your own life? You know, every time you do something wrong, you feel a horrible accusation. He takes it before God and he says, do you know what Pastor Jim did yesterday? Do you know what he was thinking? He accuses us before God day and night. That's one of his roles. So how do we defend ourselves against the accuser? How do we do it? Three things, they're listed right there. They tri we triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb, by our faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, okay? By the word of our testimony, we've got to stand on our confession of faith. We have to stand in our faith. And the third thing, and we do not love our lives so much as to shrink from death. We're in a war. It's possible that some of us may be martyred in that war. It's likely that many of us, if we live long enough, are going to suffer here, even in the United States, like in so many places in the world. And we need to embrace that because God will use it, and God will give us the faithfulness to remain faithful to him. And then, of course... We need to understand our authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people groups, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And do you remember when Jesus sent out the 72 in pairs? He told them to drive out demons and to heal the sick, and they came back rejoicing. They said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. 
Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's how we get victory, is Jesus' delegated authority to us. We must understand our authority and operate in that authority. It's delegated authority. It's his authority, but we must learn to use it effectively. And we must use the spiritual weapons that the Lord's provided for us. Remember the passage I read at the beginning. What was the list of weapons, friends? Truth is a great weapon. The truth, we have the truth in God's word. But we have to stand on the truth. Jesus' righteousness is a weapon. Peace is a weapon. Faith is a weapon. The helmet of salvation, the assurance of faith, is a weapon. We've got to know that if anything happens to us, we're safe. We go straight to heaven because the Lord has made a way for us. The sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, probably the greatest weapon of the first century is a sword, hand-to-hand combat. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, we've got to learn to use God's Word as a weapon. And of course, prayer. Prayer is a phenomenal weapon. And friends, as we approach the end, before Jesus returns, we can see things heating up. We've got to up our game as God's people. And it begins by being aware of what's really happening and why. And then engaging the enemy with the weapons that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gives us and guides us by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that we're at war. It's been an ongoing war ever since the beginning. And Lord, by virtue of the fact that we belong to Jesus, we're now a special target of Satan and the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Lord, help us to be aware and help us to take up the weapons of our warfare and help us to fight in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for every person who is here. I thank you for those that are watching from home. And Lord, I ask you, to activate, empower through your Holy Spirit, enable us to engage the enemy, knowing that we do it from victory, but willing to fight that good fight. And Lord, use us. Use us in this battle. And we thank you for the victory 
that we know we've got at the end of the age when Jesus returns. What an advantage we have because we know how the war will turn out. Give us courage to fight in these battles. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, receive the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.